Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to our first Man on the Post edition, World Cup Styley. I'm Greg and I'm here with um, Colin, Mark, Chris and Laura tonight. Say hello everyone. Hello. Hello. Um, we'll start things off in Group A and Brazil on opening night. You expected it to be a formality really, didn't we? But it wasn't quite quite so. Um, it ended up 3-1 to Brazil. A couple of controversial refereeing decisions. Who wants to kick us off with our in-depth analysis? I think that it was, obviously it wasn't a penalty, was it? So I, I think the world pretty much saw that it, that it wasn't. And I think Croatia will be unhappy with the other two goals that they conceded. The first one, they conceded far too easily midfield. And I think the keeper might have felt he could have done better. Um, and the third goal as well, I think the keeper might have felt he had done better with. Uh, I just hope that the injustice of the penalty doesn't distract Croatia away from their own defensive frailties and maybe sort of set them right for the next game. The the keeper Stipe Kletikosa was the real the real villain of their defensive efforts, wasn't he? He got two hands to the penalty, and I know you shouldn't expect a, a keeper to save a penalty, but in the position that he got to, you would expect him to keep that out. And then the he shouldn't really have been beaten by by the two long range efforts by Neymar and Oscar. No, I don't think he got protected very well either. If you look at the first goal, he. Um... Neymar won the ball in a tackle and then dribbled around three defenders while the midfielders, while the defence backed off and then he, he shot. And I think they backed off a little bit from Oscar as well. I know the keeper won't be happy, but I think there's more frailties there than him as well. Do you think that the Croatian midfield was a little bit more style over substance? Because they're, they're, they're three in the middle and they're all um, creative midfield players. Yeah, I think, think you're right. I think... I think They've got no, um, they've got no ball winner really in the midfield. I mean, they've always been technically good players. And you think back to Boban and Prozanecki and um, and back in those days, they, you know, they've always had fantastic midfielders. But maybe they do need someone in midfield to tackle Neymar and you know put the, their foot on the ball, that sort of thing. Well, I think you've got to give Croatia a lot of respect because I think everybody thought that they'd go there and park the bus, but they they attacked Brazil. And I think they scared Brazil at times. And Going forward, they had lots of success, didn't they? Yeah, and I think Brazil, just on that one game, they didn't look like this all singing, all dancing super team that everybody talks about. They're, they're beatable. Um, and you mentioned controversial decisions, Greg. I'd, I'd say there's an argument as to whether Neymar should have been sent off. Mm. In the 27th minute... He gave the player the eyes. He knew what he was doing. And I just think, I mean, he can't really compare the two. But in the Premier League, I think that could have easily been a sending off. And then two minutes later, he scores a goal. Should it have been a sending off? What, what, what do you guys think? No, I think booking was right. 
Yeah, I agree. I think a, a booking was fair for that. Fair enough then, just me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, harsh, I'm a harsh referee. You're a hard Leeds fan. You shouldn't have thought that was a red card. <laughs> That's true, actually, yeah. yeah. Jason Pierce. Jason Pierce does that every week. <laughs> Michael Brown does it every week anyway. So I saw yeah. Michael Brown put a two-footed tackle in, in a pre-season friendly in Bodmin. I mean, you've got no complaints if you think Neymar's was a red card. <laughs> What did we think of the the opening game as a, a spectacle? That I think I heard a um, a stat of two thirds of the last no recent World Cup home openers have only had one goal in them. So it was quite refreshing to see a Croatia come out the blocks and and they give Brazil a go, and then we saw four goals in the end of it as well. Yeah, it was it was certainly better than uh, Jennifer Lopez and Pitbull. Uh, Prior, what was prior, that like? I missed all that bit. Well, you, uh, well, well you, you couldn't hear them for a start. Um, just that, that was that was the bonus of it, wasn't it? That you can't hear them. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody was saying to me it was like playing seven songs at once in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's good that you do have an, an opening game that does have a lot of goals and is quite open because it kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. I mean, Honduras, not so Ecuador, uh, Switzerland wasn't the most exciting in games, but pretty much all of them have been good so far. And maybe that first one has set the tone. Yeah, I agree. Um, have we got anything else we want to say on our opening fixture before we move on? I still like that they've got players called Fred and Bernard. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> A, a big, a, a quick mention for the national anthem as well. That was a uh, just as rememberable as the um, as the game. I thought. Mm. Just, to, I think, if anything, that got them too pumped up. You need even Zamorano with his bulging eyes. That's the best. <laughs> that's the best you'll ever see anybody sing a national anthem. Okay, now elsewhere in Group Eight, we had Mexico one, Cameroon nil. Now this is the only game I haven't watched, but I hear there was a couple of dubious disallowed goals. Yeah, Mexico should have had a couple of goals. They um, they were just to be offside when when they quite clearly weren't. There was one today as well, wasn't there? In the um... Yeah, the in the Switzerland match, there was yeah. given offside that he wasn't. Mm. He came off a defender and um, an opposition defender today, and and mm. I think one of the Mexico goals was the same. And Peralta got the winner, didn't he? He seems like a an interesting player, much in the the same mould as Javier Hernandez, who he's currently keeping out the side. And Mexico had a well documented torrid time in qualifying, and only got into the playoffs thanks to a late USA goal. Now, can we? They've got three points on the board. Can we see them progressing, or is it? Do, you, do we still expect Croatia to build on their opening performance and get out of that group? I think Croatia can beat Mexico, definitely. I don't think they, Croatia have got anything to fear by Mexico at all, really. Especially with that midfield. Yeah, exactly. There's, I think the midfield are too good. Goals for... in that side. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, there's goals from all over in that side as well, isn't it? It's not like they're relying on 
one main striker. Mexico have got to cope with the fact that they got goals coming from midfield and from strikers as well. Mm. We're all very downbeat. What's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) This is an an exciting world goal. I've had a long Father's Day. Been out on their cliffs again. Yeah, that's it. I'm just there looking over the edge. <laughs> I'm currently regretting watching the two o'clock game last night. What, Japan Ivory Coast? Yeah. Did you? Yeah. It's, oh, uh, it didn't seem as good an idea this morning. Neither did the, the beer at quarter to four. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exciting World Cup. It hasn't got much better than Spain 1, Netherlands 5 in Group B. Be honest, did anyone see this coming? No. No, not at all. No. It was fantastic, when, wasn't it? It, it really was a fantastic I mean, they, game of football. When they went a goal up Spain, you kind of thought, well, this is it then. Sort of the procession that everyone kind of expecting was expecting. It was going to happen, but I, I, it just didn't, did it? They just didn't push on from there. They looked flat, and I don't think they had any answer to, to Robin's pace at all. When Schneider missed that one-on-one at the start, you thought that's their big chance gone. But, oh. but no, they, point did seem to be that silver miss, didn't it? Yeah, it, it was a save, wasn't it? But yeah, it was... He, all he, it, I don't think the dink was the correct option, was it? No. Because if it, he picks his spot... 2-0. Okay, you can't really see the Netherlands coming back from that. You can see Spain passing them to death. But he kept them in the game and all fair no, fair play to them. They got, Van Gaal got their, got their tactics spot on and Spain did look incredibly lethargic. From, you know, they A lot of their players have been involved in long league and Champions League campaigns and you have to wonder whether that's uh, taken its toll. Well, you, you do wonder that. I mean, so many big players aren't here anyway at the World Cup. So many big players have got injured, and you do wonder whether that's because of the long seasons. But you do, you wouldn't think that Casillas... I mean, I know Casillas hasn't been first choice, but you wouldn't think that for the last five years, Casillas and Ramos have been playing together week in, week out. They just look like a, a team that hadn't really met each other before. I think but you said, Laura, on Twitter last night, didn't you, that taking Alonso off was a big mistake. It seems unfathomable now as to why why they did that. Because they just collapsed as soon as he went off. And I know he, he didn't seem to be having a massive impact, but then when you removed him just like that, you just you just saw how quickly they imploded. He's one of these players that does so much, but you don't see it. If you see mm. what I mean. Well, Spain Spain need that need that cover because and so do Real Madrid when they play together because Ramos is just so erratic. Um, in his position, and that showed up, um, you know, immensely in the second half the other night. And and as the, you know, you guys have already said, it looks like the legs have all gone in the second half, and just a bit of pace, and they're all over the shop. You predicted this, though, didn't you, Colin? I I can't remember exactly what I predicted. I do remember being laughed at in a previous podcast when I when I said <laughs> that Spain wouldn't top the group. But I, I, I'll be honest, oh, wow. I didn't see this coming. I mean, I think another important point to note as well is I think the Robin Van Persie goal in the first half, just before half-time, that was a turning point because it could have been a very different team talk if 
Holland had gone in at half time one nil down. Mm. Um, and and I think you've got to take your hat off to Robin van Persie. He looks fantastic. And that first goal was brilliant. That was his first touch in the opposition half. It's amazing what he can do when he takes his Mardi face off. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing, he's good with those diagonal balls, isn't he? You see it for United so often that those diagonal balls, and normally he volleys them, doesn't he? Mm. He's, um, he's such a good player with those balls over the top. And he could have had a hat trick as well. See, he hit the bar with one as well, I think. Yeah. That with his weaker foot, that was as well. And you won't see a crisper hit. He thumped this it, tournament. He, he really did have a special game. You're just waiting for the implosion now, aren't you, from Holland? <laughs> yeah, the fight amongst themselves. It's, it, it's coming, you just got to wait for it. But when well, he's on second out. round. You say that, but they, they, they interviewed Robin afterwards. Robin is known for having a bit of an ego, and he said the best thing about it was celebrating with his teammates in the change rooms. Mm. It seems a little bit different than, um, than their normal fallout. Mm, but familiarity breeds contempt, and if they're all in a hotel together with their giant-sized egos, they're going to fall out eventually. You think? Struggling to get into a lift. Mm. Arrog- arrogance, arrogance is a particularly Dutch trait, so it's going to come out at some point. Mm. Can I just say about uh, Daily Blind though? How great he was. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? He was that pass for Van Persie's first header was just absolutely exquisite. It reminded me of that Henrik Larsson goal in Euro 2004. Do you remember that one against Bulgaria? Mm. Who's being hipster now? <laughs> <laughs> Here's a thought for you. I mean, uh, you pretty much say I would gather that Holland are through because they're going to beat Australia, you'd think. So that's going to give them six points. Is it at all conceivable that Spain are going to go out of the group stages? Or do you reckon they're going to come back from this? Obviously, oh, Chile. Chile are no pushover, are they? Chile, I think, are dark horses. They've already got three points on the board. They made it tough for themselves against Australia, mm-hmm. but they've got three points. It's all to play for for Spain now. They've got to, they've got to win both games. Well, um, Casillas is going to have to play because I think um, in the last couple of hours De Gea is being ruled out um, with a hip injury, so he's not going to be playing. Here's, here's a little bit of mischief. When when do Holland play Chile in that group? Is it the last game or not? I don't know actually. It is the last game. Yeah, yeah it is. Because I'm just thinking if uh, if Chile can get uh, a half. You know, uh, either draw something out of Spain in that second game, and Holland get their win against Australia, which you'd expect them to. Likely through goal difference, they would top the group if that's how they're going to do it. Do you think they could, um, maybe not necessarily throw the game, but not put 100% into that final game, knowing they're already through, like just to get just to get Spain knocked out? Yeah, the Angelus. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Mark. I think it really is, and. It wouldn't be too obvious. You could argue that, from a Netherlands point of view, you'd be right to field a weakened team. If you if you know you're qualified already, maybe put some of the second string players on just to keep your first team players fresh. So that could be the Holland argument. Um, so yeah, it's not inconceivable that could happen. Hence why I asked whether maybe Spain could be, could be in trouble in this group. 
I think there's got to be changes in that Spanish side for the next game. <clears throat> Some of the more mobile um, younger players have got to come in because those those lads that finished the game the other night were shot, weren't they? Mm. And they need a big they need a big kick up the backside some, somewhere along the line. Right, we briefly touched on Chile. We'll uh, quickly discuss them in a bit more depth. They had a they came out the uh, blocks like fantastically on um, on Friday night against Australia, tuning up very quickly. But then they allowed Australia to get a sniff, and arguably for a uh, majority of the game, Australia looked the better side with Tim Cahill. Um, putting in a fantastic shift up front. Now, do we think that Chile are being a little bit overhyped? We've had Belgium for the last few months being, you know, being backed into fifth favourites. And then the, it, the spotlight's kind of moved off them and gone towards likes of Chile and Colombia. Do we think that they have any real potential to get to go a long way in this tournament? you got to wonder how deep the squad is for Chile. Everyone knows Vidal and Alexis Sanchez and is it I think Gary Medellin's chilling as well, isn't he? Yes. Vidal right? yeah, didn't look fully fit. No, the... he did he got beat for the header, didn't he, by Cahill? Yeah, and he um he got dragged off after an hour and he, he didn't look in a particularly good way as he came off. He's been struggling with a knee problem for quite a while now. No. And but he I mean, is the one that gets them gets their midfield to click. If you were to think about most of the top teams, you could pretty much name their starting eleven. If you'd think of the Chilean starting eleven, you would struggle. I mean, you know, greater people than I, hipsters like Laura, would probably know them. But <laughs> you know, you would you would struggle to name a starting eleven for Chile compared to some of their rivals. People are trying to look for the the dark horses as they always do at World Cups, and you tend to get the same two or three countries like Mexico are people's ch- choices for dark horses. And this time, um, Chile seemed to be it because of the two or three players we all know but in the bits that I saw and I, I fell asleep just before half time um, yeah they came out the blocks and got two goals in two minutes but I wasn't that impressed with them and again they've got two players perhaps who they're not going to get you're not going to get very far with two two decent players um, so you could see them get into the round of 16 but you'd be I'd be very surprised if they got any further than that defensively they're not very strong Chile Certainly based on that game. Well, Medell's, Medell played centre-half, didn't he? He did, and he's and a midfielder, it, isn't he? So, yeah, not a great one by the looks no. of it this season. Um, and KL had a bit of a birthday against them. I mean, yeah. Australia are going to be screwed when uh, when KL finally does give in and retire um, because they've not got much else going forward. But against Chile's defence the other night, mm. he, he had lively, didn't he? Had weaknesses okay right. I think that's group B pretty much covered let's touch on group C which had to, has the potential to be a really interesting group we will start with Colombia 3 Greece 0 from one dark horse to another Colombia lived up to their billing a bit more didn't they yeah they did and Greece didn't live up to theirs as uh, solid defenders, defensive rocks <laughs> I think, yeah. No, I didn't see this, but apparently Neil Lennon had um, a bit of a dig at Samaras on them because Neil Lennon's a pundit. Yeah, he said that um, Samaras was a bit precious. <laughs> Just think that's been building up year <laughs> after year. Right. He's been waiting for a pundit job at an international tournament. 
They showed him and uh, Gordon Strachan today. I don't know whether you saw it, where they were sitting on Copacabana Beach, and they were the whitest men you've ever seen in your life. They must have just blended into the sand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Those two could get a sunburn off a light bulb. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he did have a bit of a dig at um, Samaras. He said that he was um, he needed a lot of love. Okay, did uh, Columbia look like they were missing Falcao at all? Clearly not. They won 3-0. No. And uh, what do we make of Jackson Martinez being transferred to Ecuador, as Clark Carlisle thought today? <laughs> Ludicrous punditry. There was some strange punditry on today. I think that Clark Carlisle must have the best agent in the world because of the amount of gigs he gets either on radio or TV. Um, I don't know. Just stick to Countdown. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. Everyone thinks he's like the thinking man's footballer, don't they? He's calmed that's it clearly down Jerry Barton. He's calmed he's it down a bit now because he used to sound like a darts commentator. <laughs> 180. You'd rather that than Phil Neville, wouldn't you? Oh, God, yeah. We'll touch on that later. I think there's, a, there's probably... <laughs> I don't a, there must be a special Phil Neville. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Columbia looked good. Now, who, which of you brave souls stayed up to watch uh, Ivory Coast versus Japan last night? 2 o'clock a.m. kickoff. I didn't even make it to the end of the England game. Oh, right. <laughs> uh, no, I, I recorded it and watched it this morning over my breakfast. So I've been berated by some courses for tipping Japan to have a, a good tournament and I was a little drunk when whilst watching I felt like crying <laughs> when when they, they after being one the up and playing really well for an hour they conceded two in two minutes it was just a horrendous it, after England that's the last thing I needed but it, I thought there was two decent attacking sides on show Mm, Honda's goal was a beauty. It was a lovely finish. Mm, hit it really well. And it was the introduction of Drogba, which really, just his presence on the pitch caused the Japanese to panic and uh, stop picking up their men in the box. Yeah, everybody says this as if he's had some sort of magical uh, experience walking onto the pitch because he, he wasn't involved in either of the goals, but yet he's, he's been... Uh, <laughs> He's claiming all the responsibility for their win, which is very strange. I think, I think it'll be, Ivory Coast have obviously got the, the upper hand on going through, but you can see them making a meal of their last two games. And Japan are look at a well-organised side with a bit of attacking flair. So I think that group could be one to watch. And I think we've all written off Greece anyway. I think of all the groups, that's the closest one to call. I think it's got a, a couple of shocks in it. That That's interesting. I, I'd say that the two best teams won in that group. Um, I mean, I predicted Colombia to top the group and Ivory Coast to come second. And I don't think I've seen anything that makes me suggest otherwise. Um, yeah, so I'd say Colombia or Ivory Coast for me. And it's interesting that Ivory Coast started with uh, with Boney and that Drogba came on off the bench because that was one of the questions that was being asked wasn't it whether Drogba would be uh, 
fit enough to start and, and whether he'd be the, the chosen man up front. I don't, I don't think Yaya Torre looked like his usual force. He didn't have that uh, Fernandinho figure behind him, did he? And he, he seemed to be running down a few blind alleys. So it'd be interesting to see how his uh, tournament progresses. Maybe he's just not feeling the love. Nobody's busting up the gatties. No. Okay, now, I think it's time. I think we need to talk about Group D. And uh, tell you what, we'll, we'll start on the England game and I will pass you on to our Man on the Post England correspondent, <laughs> Colin Sowerby. <laughs> Take it away, Colin. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, you, you said that you felt like crying in the Japan game. Uh, I, I, I was so hoping England would win this. I had such a positive feeling about this game. Um, but it just didn't happen. I mean, I had real hope that after Marquisio scored and then Sturridge equalised just a, one or two minutes later, I thought, yeah, we're back in this, we're back in this. But in the end, for me, what stood out is England's left-hand side and how time after time after time, Leighton Baines was just firefighting. He, mm-hmm. he just couldn't deal with it. And, and Leighton Baines is a great player. But he was, he was made to look a little bit silly, I thought. And look, this question is going to be asked, so I might as well raise it. Wayne Rooney, right? Should he be in that starting eleven or not? I know he put a great cross in for Daniel Sturridge's goal. But apart from that, he, he had a wonderful opportunity to score. Missed with that. Should have done better. I don't know. Um... Is it time to... I think Roy's got to rethink what's happened on the on the left side of that midfield because Uruguay surely are going to exploit that in the next game. I don't think he's got the tactical discipline to be able to play on the left. He, he doesn't track his runners. He didn't in Euro 2012 when they tried to stick him on Perla. He didn't last night. And their, their right fullback had a, a, a world of a night. And I think if you're going to play Rooney, you've got to play him either up top, but we can't because we've got Sturridge, who's in the form of his life. And if not, you pay him just behind Sturridge. But obviously, we've got Sterling at there at the moment. And if you can't fit him into either of those two roles, then I don't think you can start him. Because anywhere else, he becomes a bit of a liability. Spot on, Greg. Spot on. Completely agree. Mm. I think when you, when, you play, um, when you play that, when you don't have proper wide midfielders like in a 4-4-2, your fullbacks do get... Um, really exposed which you know has, has been happening to Glenn Johnson for years in the England team not not that he needs any help looking poor and defensively but he does and Leighton Baines had the same thing last night Leighton Baines isn't as good a defender as Ashley Cole for example that's a, that's plain to see but he was exposed time and time again two on one with very little help from Rooney when Rooney was playing on the left hand side for the next game for me, I don't think he will be dropped. I don't think Roy will, has got the balls to drop him. But for me, I would stick Welbeck on the left because he's going to give you a lot more defensive capability, which is a bit of a waste for a forward. And I'd put Milner on the right-hand side to at least give our fullbacks a little bit more um, cover and have Sterling behind Daniel Sturridge to begin with. And I'd leave Rooney out because he's, 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 not, he's not shown anything for England in any tournament and and last night 
he was one of two or three who were just complete passengers. Mm. Well, this is this is the thing. He's not going to do it, though, is he, Mark? He's, no, he's, he's not. not. It, no. The thing is, I say, bite the bullet. The simple fact is, is that I'm of the opinion that Rooney is not going to be in the first eleven for the Euros in 2016. So if you if you're introducing this new wave of players and they are exciting, and you know. Raheem Sterling was great, I thought, in that game. I thought he terrified Italy, mm-hmm. especially in the first half. Um, well, yeah, why, why not just, you know, accept it now and try something different? Because England are in a whole world of trouble now. They, they need two wins. It's, it's, it's fear, you know, and you noticed it in the, in the, the pundits as well. They, they fear criticising somebody of such a reputation and standing as Rooney because they don't want to look stupid if he suddenly goes and has one of the games that he is capable of having and scoring two or three worldy goals. And it's the same with Roy. He's just so scared of dropping him for Barkley or whoever because he doesn't want to look stupid. And especially now, as you said, England are in a hole where we have, we probably have to win two games. Four points might be enough, but unlikely. It's probably got to be six points. And, the, and for my money, he won't drop him in the next game um, and if he has any kind of decent game, then he's probably in for the rest of the tournament. For, well, for better or worse. Not, if he's not going to drop him, he's going to have to pay, play him in that central position that he likes playing him because he's clearly not very bright and wherever you put him in a different position, he can't figure out where he is or what he needs to do. So you have to play him in the central going through through the middle, which means... Roy is going to have to build the team around him, which seems like a complete and utter waste to me when you've got the likes of Sterling and Barkley who have just got lightning pace and could uh, scare a few teams. The, the problem now is that he's not the best player that we've got in any of the positions that we can play him in, which, mm. is, which is different to, say, five years ago when he was the best centre-forward. He was probably the best right-winger and best left-winger and best number 10 we had. Mm. But he's he's not the best in any of those roles anymore. But he's he'll still get picked because of what he could potentially do. Yeah, he put in a great cross for the um for the goal. But what else did he really contribute to that game last night? Apart from leaving Leighton Baines to to keep trying to bail the water out of the the hole in the boat. It's a very difficult situation. I think I think Roy is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. And, and I think, I mean, I'd slightly disagree, Laura. I don't think it's that Wayne Rooney isn't bright. I just think he's a striker. I just don't think he's got it in his locker, you know, to sort of have that defensive um, string to his bow that that makes James Milner so attractive to managers because he's got a little bit of everything. He's not particularly great at anything, but he's got a little bit of everything. Um, and But then Rooney builds himself up to be... Yes, you know, Rooney he does. sees himself as as that world class player. He sees himself on the same level as um, Ronaldo and and whoever else. And I'm not saying that if you asked Ronaldo to cover his fullback, he'd go do it. But I'm sure if he was minded, he could do it pretty well. This aside, this is another thing I took at it as sort of representative of Team England. Okay, I thought perhaps, okay, a few issues aside, that was one of the best games that England have played for a long time I thought it was exciting and I think it it, it was quite positive 
and, and I quite like the, the, the look of the team and, and the individuals on there. Um, all, the left side obviously needs work. But I didn't think it was bad by England. I didn't think England were terrible like they have been in previous tournaments. Mm. Um, so I think there's some reasons to be cheerful, but I've got some serious doubts now about whether England's going to get out of this group. It, it, I was just hoping they could just get a, a goal in the second half and just, just bring it in at 2-2, but... I think we can get out of the group. I think we'll beat Costa Rica. I think we'll struggle to possibly beat Costa Rica. And I think we will beat Uruguay. I don't think they're all that defensively. Like you said, I thought we started quite positively. Sterling had that shot, which I thought went in, but, you know, <laughs> hit the side net in. Yeah. Um, I think the whole Welbeck, nation yeah, doing that. Welbeck got behind their fullbacks a couple of times. I think that in defence, Uruguay got Godan, who's all right, and Lugano, who isn't. Who else have they got there? The keeper's a bit iffy, too. Obviously, going forward, they've got Cavani, Suarez, and you know w- whatever else. But I think we can definitely outscore them. And Costa Rica, yeah, I think we'll... Costa Rica will be one of those lumbering matches we have where we win but play awful. We, the, the problem last night is, what, is one of the things we've got to change for the next games against inferior opposition to Italy is we were too predictable in the middle of the park. Gerard does what he does now. You know, you know where he's going to be. You know what he's going to do. Pinging 50-yard balls all the time isn't the answer, but you know that he's going to be there direct in play. Last night, they employed Henderson like his minder, like never straying more than 10 yards for him. And that's not what Henderson has done well at Liverpool this season. It's been getting around the field, driving forward, getting a bit of pace from the centre of the park and joining the, the front line and the wingers and so on. And that's what we've got to go ahead and do. We made the mistake of, again, we made the mistake of giving Pirlo and De Rossi far too much time on the ball last night. Uh, Uruguay and Costa Rica don't have players in that, in that class, but we can give any World Cup team all the time and space to play from the back like we did with Italy last night, and the same result will happen. And what's confusing about last night is, as Greg said, uh, as Colin said, there were nearly as many positives as there are negatives. That's why it feels a little bit strange today that defeat doesn't feel, for me anyway, that bad or that terminal. Mm. But there's just a few things we need to change. Rooney being one, I think, and perhaps releasing Henderson to get forward a bit more. Well, here, here's a question. Mark, you're an Everton fan. Mm. You know Ross Barkley well. Yeah. Is there an argument that he should be in the starting eleven? Or do you think his right place is a is a as an impact sub at the moment? Um, I would say as a substitute. I think um, Ross Barkley, when he's when he's right on top of his game, would walk into that team and he'd light up the tournament. The problem for the problem with Barkley, where it's a little bit different to Sterling, is he's probably one year further behind in his experience and everything else. Sterling, you kind of know you're going to get a good performance out of him most most games at the moment. Barkley can be absent and anonymous one game and excellent the next. There's kind of nowhere in between. And if he's an, if he's anonymous, he doesn't really bring much else if he's not dribbling around six players and smashing the ball in from 20 yards. So I would I would keep him on the bench for now until we absolutely, you know, until we've got no other options or we're starting to run out of options. I would I would leave him where he is for now. Again, think about how much pressure is going to be heaped on him or how much he might feel himself if he's put in from the start when we're needing to win a game, you know, against Costa Rica in the last group game. 
It's a good point, yeah. Any other England-based um, points, or should we move on to the, how Costa Rica may have done us a massive favour? They did play well, didn't they? And it wasn't a fluke result by any chance, Costa Rica. Yeah, they really deserved it, and there were some fantastic goals as well. Mm. Joel Campbell, I think, um, has sent a message to Arsene Wenger. Is he still out on loan? If he can get his work permit. Oh, is it one of them where he's got to spend three years? Well, I don't know whether this... In Europe? It was something I was learning about yesterday because I didn't realise you had to play so many percentage games in the previous two years for your international team before you can get work permit. Used to be seventy five percent, didn't it? Yeah, it's something like that. And I think this tournament might actually take him over that, so he may be available for Arsenal now. Which would save Wenger buying a striker. Especially yeah. if he's in the form that he's in. Well he's got all that money knocking around that he did um, he used not to buy Fabregas. <laughs> Well, well, you say that uh, Costa Rica might have done us a favour, Greg. They've certainly done Italy a favour. I think Italy are through now. That's a done deal, I think. It's Uruguay, Costa Rica and England all fighting for that second place now. I, d- I don't think you can discount Costa Rica. They're going to be confident. They're going to be cock-a-hoop that they can pull a surprise and get out of this group. Um, so I don't discount them for a second because I-, I think they... I don't like saying this, but I think they potentially could get a draw against England. You know, I think they could be good enough to do that. It's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. Uruguay are going to be without Maxi Pereira, though, aren't they, for that stupid tackle that he did on Joel Campbell? Mm. Uruguay are the interesting team because they've virtually not changed that starting eleven since, you know, for, since the last World Cup. And you can tell, I mean, any any team that still relies on Forlan as one of their better players. I know Suarez was injured. I've never been impressed by Cavani. I think there's a lot of hype surrounding him. And you look through the rest of that team, as as um, Chris said, Lugano's still playing for them, for Christ's sake. You know, it's that, but if Suarez comes back into that team, they could completely transform from looking like donkeys yesterday to knocking England out. Just because of one player, mm. they're, they're the, I think they're the more they're the more unpredictable thing floating in this group, rather than Costa Rica. It's sod's law, isn't it, that Suarez is going to come back into the starting fold for for Uruguay against England, and he's going to bloody score, isn't he? Um, he'll go down. He'll he'll dive in the box and get a penalty. That's what's going to happen. Now, now. No, well, he will. That's what's going to happen. I, I, you can almost shut your eyes and picture it happening. It'll be, it'll be Jagielka probably who who won't touch him, and he'll go down on the floor, get the penalty, and that'll be us out. So we won't appeal for any throw-ins that we know came off our legs. Oh, here you go again with cheatings. <laughs> with cheatings acceptable, just because it's him. <laughs> cheating's overrated. Mm. But there's more important things to worry about in football. So well, they're the ones to watch. It, it, like the next game's massive. I think we'll. I think England will beat Costa Rica. I don't think Costa Rica will do anything against um, Italy either. But it's Uruguay now who are the. It's up. I think. I think it's going to be between us and Uruguay for who comes second. Okay, and the last completed game that um, has been finished 
up to when we are recording is Switzerland 2, Ecuador 1. Not a classic, by all means, but Switzerland came through with a 90-second minute winner. Um, Colin, I, I know that you uh, fancy Switzerland to top their group. Has this uh, made you a bit more confident about your prediction? Yeah, it has. Um, I mean, this was looking like it was going to be the first draw of the tournament. And I think the crowd were getting a little bit on the players' backs about that, you know. Um, but it just went in, in extra time from, from one team to another. Ecuador, a, a great chance of of winning the game. But th- there was a great challenge by um, the Switzerland defender. I can't remember his name. Um, but then he went on a run and he went to the other side of the park and... Three minutes into injury time, Switzerland got the winner. Devastating. A kick in the balls for Ecuador. But fantastic. It was Barami, wasn't it? That's it. That game-saving tackle gets up, carries the ball out, skips a a pretty hefty challenge, and then spreads the ball, and it ends up in the box for an easy tap-in. And and we've seen some dodgy refs already in this tournament, so fair play to that ref who, who said... He had to think about it, and he just went, yeah, okay, play on. Let's see what happens. Um, because that should have been a booking. And Ecuador, I bet, wished that it, the ref did stop play, but he didn't. He let it go on, and Switzerland scored. He'd already pulled one back for uh, exactly like that early in the game, though, hadn't he? And he got a bit of stick for it. Yeah, I agree. I agree, Laura. Um, but, I, I mean, it's easy to knock refs. I especially would knock the ref in the in the first game, uh, between in the Brazil game, but this ref, I thought, you know, when they make a good decision, they should be commended. And Absolutely. and I'm sure Switzerland are thinking the same thing. <laughs> now they've got three points in injury time. Ecuador weren't sticking to their little foamy circle, though, were they? When they were taking their free kicks. Twice they uh, they moved the ball outside of that little half circle that the uh, referee had drawn on the pitch. This, this is a magic spray you're referring to, isn't it, Laura? It is indeed. What, what do we think about that? I think that is amazing. I'd love to see that in the Premier League. Great idea. In the Champions League next year being used, isn't it? Yeah. They've been, they've been doing it for quite a long time in youth tournaments, and I think South American football have seen it as well. You know, For at least two years, so I'm surprised they've never done it before now. For something so simple, it's not goal line technology. It's, you know, it's quite an easy thing. I'm surprised we've never done it before. It's great, isn't it? You you know that there's loads of sneaky defenders who normally would start moving forwards, and they're thinking, ah, bloody hell, Um, that's one thing I can't get away with anymore. So I think it's it's great. It's just a mental idea that this is this amazing line that I can't cross. But did you notice today? The, the first time I've seen it anyway, is they're delaying and delaying forming the wall and everything else to try and make give the time the foam has got to disappear a bit longer. <laughs> and, then, and then they're start, then they're starting to tread all over this already disappearing line. So bef- by the end of the tournament, it's probably going to be that a lot of the free kicks, the line will be gone and the walls will be one to two yards ahead of where they actually should have been when the line was drawn in the first place. They'll cotton onto that very quickly, I think. Where does that fit on your cheating curve? It's fine, isn't it? <laughs> Everything's is it... fine in your book, lad. Uh, well, <laughs> well, no. What is 
it's just the hypocrisy about complaining about diving when there's so much other cheating that goes on as well. Plus, there's a lot more things to complain about in football than cheating. I tell you what, there's been an awful lot of foul throws that I've noticed this World there Cup. There you go, mm. foul throws. That's worse than cheating. Unbelievable. Does nobody teach him how to throw a, a ball anymore? I'd expect that in League 2, but not the World Cup. Mm. They just never get pulled up, though, do they? They don't, anymore. I did, a few weeks ago. What, while you were playing? Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> just one final comment. I think we've covered all the, 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 the games so far uh, as we record this podcast, but does anybody have any feelings about the delivery of the shows on BBC versus ITV? Which pundits are you liking? Which ones are you not? Um, for me personally, if I could kick off, um, I was watching the Brazil-Croatia game on ITV Player. So I was watching it on my laptop, and uh, it was probably about halfway through the second half. There was um, a scheduled maintenance window that took down iPlayer. So you couldn't watch it live. And I thought, that's brilliant. That is fantastic. That's typical ITV, that is. Um so I had to quickly switch to a, another stream to watch that game. So good old ITV. Yeah, well done. When, when have ITV ever done football any good? Probably, probably since like the days of Brian Moore and the big match. They've been shocking for 20 years at doing football. And I don't necessarily think the, the, the BBC are, are like a massive amount better, but they certainly wiped the floor so far I think with ITV ITV just needs to do something in the future with their presenting team, the commentators and the mm -hmm. pundits but I think they're just so arrogant and they're so tied into this these big contracts and everything else that they can't see what the, the, the rest of us can about their style and the people they have on, the, on their football shows They've gone for this really sort of chummy laid back <laughs> style though this time haven't yeah. they? And it's just so toe-curlingly bad. I mean, this afternoon where they had Lee Dixon and uh, Ian Wright sitting in deck chairs rating oh, uh, rating <laughs> the England players out of ten, it was like somebody had filmed somebody having a conversation at a barbecue. It was that poor. I, I, I've been watching the ITV ones, and I'm trying to put myself in the mind of Fabio Cannavaro and thinking... What does he think of Adrian Childs? Does he think, in Italian, does he think, what the hell is this ogre talking about? He's always trying to get players to touch him, which I find is a bit strange as well. He was desperate for a pat on the back the other night, which Vieira didn't want to do. Um, the BBC punditry team, like when Shearer cracks a semi-joke or whatever whenever he ends sentences and stuff there's always that uncomfortable little smile he does isn't it? and then there's like a like a pause where nobody else is particularly finding it funny you know that's a little bit uncomfortable and i don't ever really want to hear what rio ferdinand's got to say but the bbc just still are doing the whole thing better than itv are bbc bringing mark lawrence to our ears as well he sounds like a stroppy teenager he's just been dumb He's in such a foul mood. That's that's him always, isn't it? Like totally condescending and looking down his nose at everything, and dis just disdain coming out of every pore. I quite enjoy it. It's a, it's a 
change from the norm. And poor old Phil Neville. Maybe oh. Miss Gary. <clears throat> I don't know who Another thought that was a good idea. Gary's Phil Neville talking like a robot. Somebody said, has he got the same microphone that they uh, used in Jamaica in? <laughs> which, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. How, how about Glenn Hoddle? I, I, I'm... Oh, I mean, I, I'm actually. I'm watching his mullet again. He's, he's growing his mullet, isn't he? He he's 100% right on everything in his own head, and <laughs> he. I, I'm watching him with interest because he he could just explode at any point. He he's he's great. I mean, he's I just I mean, Laura, you said I mean, he's so laid back, but I think he's loving this. I mean, I presume he is the Roy Keane fill-in. Because obviously Roy Keane said, oh, you know, he's done his usual thing and buggered off from another World Cup. Not, not finished anything. Yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm liking Glenn Hoddle just because of his madness. You see, I can't watch Glenn Hoddle now because after the very first game, somebody tweeted a picture of him sitting in his chinos and it looked like he'd got a camel toe. <laughs> and I cannot look at him now at all. Can't concentrate on what he's did, saying. Did you see him sweating his tits off in that game against <laughs> yeah. Honduras? That was that was uh, that was scary. I was, mm. you know, I was fearful for him. Between him and Childs, just oh. sweating buckets, trying to fill time. Do you know what? I think that's a good place. <laughs> There's any to finish. We'll leave our listeners with the image of a sweaty Glenn Hoddle and a sweaty Adrian Childs. <laughs> right so I think we've uh, covered everything for now um, hopefully we'll be able to get a fair few more of these Man the Post uh, podcasts out during the um, during the tournament I'm not sure what producer Ross has in mind but um, or what Colin has in mind as well but uh, are we looking at two a week is that the idea yeah something in that region um, so yeah, keep tuned. I mean, always remember to uh, subscribe via iTunes. So as the podcasts appear, they'll come straight into your iTunes directory. So uh, no effort needed. And we promise we'll try and book Phil Neville at some point during the <laughs> tournament as well. Um, I think unless anyone has anything to say or plug, and then you're not allowed to plug Man the Post Extra. <laughs> Right, I think we're all good to finish then. Hey, so it's a, a goodbye from Colin. Goodbye. It's a goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. Goodbye from Laura. Bye. Goodbye from Mark. Bye. And it's a goodbye from me. And always remember to keep your World Cup mail on the post. <laughs> <laughs>